Immigration Advocates Network podcast. Hello, this is the Immigration Advocates Network podcast interview with Margaret Stock. She is counsel to the firm at Lane Powell, and Margaret is going to be talking to us today about MAVNI, Military Accessions Vital to National Interest Pilot Project. Welcome, Margaret. Thank you very much. I'm pleased to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the work that you do and your background? Okay, I'd be happy to do that. I'm counsel to the firm at Lane Powell, which is a Pacific Northwest law firm. Before joining Lane Powell, however, I worked on military-related immigration issues for many years. And among other things, I helped found the American Immigration Lawyers Association Military Assistance Program, which helps military members and veterans with immigration problems on a pro bono basis. Uh, I also worked on the MAVNI program. I was the original project officer for the Army on a proposal that became what's now known as military accessions vital to the national interest. So I've worked on the MAVNI program since the fall of 2007, although it wasn't called the MAVNI program originally. That was an acronym that somebody else came up with later on. Uh, But I've been working on this program essentially since fall of 2007 until I retired, uh, transferred to the retired reserve in the U.S. Army Military Police Corps in 2010. Can you give us a brief overview of MAVNI, and then we'll break it down into some of its components. Sure, absolutely. MAVNI, again, stands for Military Accessions Vital to the National Interest. It's a program that allows certain people who are legally in the United States but who don't have green cards to join the U.S. Armed Forces. And if they join the U.S. Armed Forces under current military naturalization statutes, they can become American citizens without getting a green card first. So it allows them to go straight from whatever lawful status they have, short of a green card, to U.S. citizen in a very short period of time by joining the United States military. Uh, And right now, MAVNI is um, only open to two groups of people, people who are U.S. licensed healthcare professionals or people who speak one of 30 or more strategic languages that the Department of Defense has identified as being critical languages for the military. So a typical example of somebody who would benefit from MAVNI would be a J-1 doctor who's U.S. licensed working in the United States. Uh, He doesn't have a green card yet, but he wants to live permanently in the United States. He can join the U.S. Army or the U.S. Army Reserve and go straight to being a U.S. citizen within about a month or two. So he goes straight from J-1 doctor to being a U.S. citizen in a month or two. Another example would be someone who's a speaker of Haitian Creole and holds TPS status, temporary protected status. Someone who's lived in the United States for two years and holds TPS status, but who speaks Haitian Creole fluently, can join the Army. They'll have to agree to go on active duty for a minimum period of four years. But when he's at basic training you will get American citizenship at basic training. And I'll just give you one last example of a person who is an F1 foreign student who speaks, for example, uh, Tagalog, uh, can join the Army, and she can also get her citizenship at basic training, um, get U.S. citizenship in exchange for agreeing to go on active duty for a period of four years. 
So that's kind of a quick overview. Uh, essentially, it's a program that lets people who are lawfully in the U.S. expedite the process of getting citizenship, and they, they skip the green card process altogether. And what are the uh, possible immigration statuses that a person could have to qualify for MAVNI? Well, there's a wide variety of them, and essentially what they are are lawful statuses that are described generally in the statute regarding non-immigrant visa categories. And I'm going to read the list off to you of all the different non-immigrant visa categories that are eligible for MAVNI, but also people who have asylee status, refugee status, or temporary protected status are eligible. And this is important to note because I think a lot of people listening to this podcast will represent people who fall within those groups. So under MAVNI, someone who's an asylee can join the military and go straight to U.S. citizenship. They don't have to wait to get a green card first. Same thing with a refugee. They can join the military and go straight to U.S. citizenship. Same thing with temporary protective status. Somebody's here in TPS, they can go straight to U.S. citizenship. They don't have to worry about getting a green card. I'll now go ahead and uh, read off the non-immigrant statuses that are okay. eligible. There's quite a lot of them. The the following non-immigrant categories are eligible. E, F, H, I, J, K, L, M, O, P, Q, R, S, T, T, D, T, N, U, or V. So if somebody out there is listening represents, for example, somebody with U visa status, it's fairly common. Uh, the person was a crime victim or the child of somebody who was a crime victim. A U visa holder status holder can join the military and go straight to U.S. citizenship under that under this program. Same thing with an F-1 student or an H-1B professional worker, um, L-1, chi- L-2 child, an L-1A visa holder, uh, E-2 treaty trader, treaty investor. And essentially, there's just a wide variety of these statuses, but you have to be in one of these in order to qualify for this program. And you have to have been in one of these statuses for at least two years immediately prior to your enlistment date. You can switch between categories and still qualify. Uh, You also can't have had any single absence from the United States of more than 90 days during the two-year period immediately preceding the date of enlistment. So those are the general criteria. And I think for um, nonprofit agencies, the most common folks you're going to see that will be eligible would be asylees, refugees, temporary protected status holders, or possibly T and U visa holders. Hmm. And what about deferred action for childhood arrivals? Are they eligible to enlist in the U.S. military and qualify for this program? Well, this is a very good question. Right now, they are not eligible, and that's because deferred action is not one of the statuses that's listed by the Department of Defense as being eligible for the MAVNI program. So right now, deferred action for childhood arrivals, people are not eligible to join the military. However, I should mention that this could be subject to change. It would simply take a memo from the Secretary of Defense to make them eligible to enlist in the military. But right now, no such memo has been, as of the date we're speaking anyway, uh, no such memo has been issued. And right now, the people with deferred action for childhood arrival status are not eligible to enlist in the military. So now, while you're uh, giving us lists, (laughs) why don't we talk... Or why don't you cover some of the language groups, at least some that we may come across uh, in our nonprofit practices, or uh, attorneys doing pro bono work? 
Okay, well, there's a huge list, and there's more than 30 of these, but some of the ones that you might commonly run into who are eligible um, include languages like Cambodian Khmer, uh, Cebuano, which is a Filipino language, Haitian Creole, uh, very very common language among uh, Haitian immigrants, and of course, um, that folks are eligible for the MAVNI program if they speak Haitian Creole. Also, Lao, Malay, Malayalam, uh, Moro, and by Moro here, they, they're referring to people from the Philippines, from the Moro part of the Philippines. It's not actually the name of the language, but that's what the Department of Defense put out. Um, also, people who speak Portuguese. So if you have somebody who's from Brazil, they're potentially eligible to enlist in the military and go straight to citizenship under the MAMI program. Uh, and then Somali, uh, Swahili, Tagalog, Tajik, Tamil. Uh, so people from Sri Lanka would be eligible. Um, there's also many of the more common languages that you would expect to be on the list. Arabic, um, Chinese, Russian, Polish, uh, so forth and so on. And without reading the whole entire list, I would urge you to go to the Department of Defense fact sheet, which lists all of the languages. And you'll see that languages spoken by many people in groups that are being serviced by nonprofits are, are on the list. And one particular one that I should highlight is they, they currently have on the list uh, the language French. However, they limit recruitment to people who possess citizenship from an African country. So they're looking for people who are actually from Africa but speak French. And the idea behind this was that the Department of Defense doesn't have people who are able to um, speak lots of different African languages, but it's highly likely that if you speak French and you're from Africa, you probably also possess fluency in another African language that's, that's not on the list but that they can't test for. So uh, French is also available, again, to people who are from African countries. Uh, this is pretty uh, astonishing, really, to acquire citizenship so quickly. I'm wondering what, if any, other requirements for citizenship a person needs to meet to be eligible. Well, they have to be in the military, and they do have to meet the usual requirements for military naturalization. Uh, they don't have to have a green card, because that's not one of the requirements for military naturalization right now, but they do have to show good moral character for a period of one year, and they have to be able to pass the citizenship test. So they will be quizzed on their their knowledge of English and their knowledge of U.S. history and civics, uh, the same test that any immigrant would have to take to become an American citizen. Um, also, to join the military, you have to speak English. So this is not a program for people who don't speak any English or can't read and write English because they will have to meet the usual military enlistment requirements, which require people to take a test in English and score high enough on the test to show that they're eligible for military service. Um, they also have to have a minimum high school diploma or GED in order to get into the military also. And in addition, they need to be in status at the time that they apply. I'm wondering about the, uh, you know, the time frames here, how long it takes to enroll in the military or to be approved for this program and whether people need to be concerned about falling out of status, at, you know, during the process. Well, they have to be in status on the date of enlistment, and that's okay. the date that they sign their enlistment contract. Now, the question often comes up, how, how quickly can you sign an enlistment contract? Well, you can sign one usually after going through several weeks, sometimes several months of processing. 
Uh, contrary to popular belief, you can't just go down to a recruiter and meet the recruiter that day and sign up for the military. It doesn't work like that. Uh, the military has a whole set of tests and hurdles that you have to go through to get into the military. There's a background check. They're going to check your fingerprints. They're going to check your status with DHS to make sure you do have one of the lawful statuses that's listed for the MAVNI program. They're going to uh, run a credit check on you just to see if you, you know, are heavily in debt. Uh, they're going to do a physical fitness exam, so you have to be medically fit for the military. And it's fairly common for people to be unable to meet the military's physical fitness requirements. Uh, for example, you might uh, have a medical condition that prevents you from serving in the military. Uh, you have to show that you can meet, um, you can pass the test. So they're going to give various tests to the individuals who are trying to enlist. And usually this process takes a couple of months to get through. So from the day you contact a recruiter until the day you actually sign your enlistment contract, you go through a series of checks and tests and exams and so forth. And then eventually you'll, you'll be signing a written contract between you and the United States government that says how long you're going to be on active duty, uh, how much time you'll spend in the reserves, uh, what your rank will be when you come into the military, what job the military is going to train you to do, and so forth and so on. And then once you sign that enlistment contract, you'll be scheduled to go off to your basic training. That might be as much as six months or even eight months to a year after you sign your enlistment contract because of timing and availability of training seats at a school and so forth. So the process can actually take quite a while, but the key thing is on the date that you sign that enlistment contract, you have to be in valid status. Okay, and presumably, you know, you need to keep your obligations under the contract to maintain your your naturalization. I, I don't think many of us have had cases where someone's naturalization has been revoked, but i wondering what, if any, sort of uh, guidelines are in place around that possibility. Yes, and this is absolutely critical for people to understand. A person who joins the military under MAVNI can get citizenship very quickly, but there's a big downside, which is that the law provides that if they don't serve honorably for a period or periods aggregating five years, then the Department of Homeland Security can move to revoke their citizenship. Now, what does that mean, got to serve for five years? Does that mean five years of active duty? No, it doesn't. In fact, everybody who joins the military today has an eight-year statutory obligation. Even U.S. citizens who join have an eight-year obligation. But the amount of time you spend on active duty is negotiable with the military. So, for example, if you're an American citizen and you're trying to join the military today, you go down to see your recruiter. The recruiter will say, well, look, I have the following job options open today for, for somebody like you. Uh, one of them requires three years of active duty. One of them requires six years of active duty. One of them requires four years. You know, you can pick and choose between these. In the case of a MAVNI, same thing happens except that the Department of Defense has said a MAVNI language speaker has to serve on active duty for at least four years. So a three-year active duty enlistment option wouldn't be open to a MAVNI. But then after you get off active duty, you're going to have an additional period of time in the reserves. It may be active reserve service. If you choose to do that, if you don't choose to do that, you'll just be kept on the rolls in the individual ready reserve until the full eight years is run on your time in service. Uh, with regard to citizenship, you have to serve for five years to keep your citizenship. So there are different periods don't don't coincide. And I guess the way to think about this is 
if you sign up for the military under the MAVNI program, you're going to sign a contract, for example, four years on active duty. And then at the end of the four years, you'll be released from active duty into the reserves. If you want to keep your citizenship, you have to serve honorably in the reserves for one year. Uh, that may require you to, to do something, or you may not have to do anything except keep the Department of Defense aware of your address and contact information. But you would have to watch the dates. And at the eight-year point, you would be completely discharged from the military. So that's kind of how it works. And I think the most important thing is for people to check everything carefully before they sign a contract and read all the fine print so they know what they're getting into. Hmm. And what about other eligibility requirements? I know that this program is uh, both for people who have language skills and for the healthcare professionals. Do the healthcare professionals also need to have adequate language skills? And what are some of the healthcare professions that they're um, looking to fill? Well, the healthcare professionals program doesn't require a person to speak a strategic language, but it does require the person to be a U.S. licensed healthcare professional. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, right now they're recruiting doctors and psychiatric workers, so psychiatric nurses, psychologists, uh, doctors of all sorts are being recruited by the military into this program. Again, they have to be licensed already in the U.S., and that normally means that they've already proven that they speak English, but the military is going to also give them a test to make sure that they speak English fluently. Uh, and since they're licensed in the U.S., they'll have had some U.S medical education also that they've gone through. Typical foreign doctors have some sort of um, medical education in the United States in order to get licensed here. Uh, those folks, by the way, can choose to be on active duty or the reserves. The language speakers have to go on active duty right now, but the doctors are allowed to opt to be in the reserves. So they can keep their day job and serve part-time in exchange for um, getting their citizenship. So typical example among the doctors, and this is a case I know about, a uh, doctor from Colombia who is here on a J-1 visa, and he currently works at the Veterans Affairs Agency. He's a VA doctor during the day, and he also serves the Army Reserve part-time on the weekends. And he's a kidney specialist, so he treats people with kidney kidney issues. And he's working for the VA again during the day and then part-time in the Army Reserve. And as far as I can tell from talking to him, he's having a wonderful career he uh, went from being a J-1 visa holder to being a U.S. citizen. He didn't have to worry about getting a green card. Uh, he didn't have to worry about speaking a strategic language, although it turns out he does speak Spanish. Uh, Spanish, by the way, is not one of the strategic languages on the MAVNI list. But if you're a healthcare professional, you don't have to speak one of those languages. So any language is helpful for the medical profession. Are there any age requirements, upper limit or lower limit? Yes. Uh, you have to meet the normal military enlistment requirements. And normally the military recruits people. Uh, the youngest person who can join the military would be a 17-year-old. Uh, the Army has authority to enlist people up until age 42. But right now they're only taking people up until age 35. So generally right now it's 17 to 35. If a person's older than 35 and they're interested, though, they might want to check with the recruiter because sometimes they can get waivers up to age 42 for some people who speak languages during very short supply. Okay. Let's talk then a little bit about maybe some of the deadlines, uh, the process, and I'm also wondering about the duration of this program. Well, right now the program is scheduled to run for two years, and that started last uh, year, in 2012. 
with the beginning of the fiscal year, which the U.S. government starts on October 1st. So right now they're in um, year one of a two-year version of the program, and they have been in that program since October 1st, 2012. And then they'll have a new quota number for MAVNI starting up October 1st, 2013. Uh, so how does this work? Well, DOD, the Department of Defense, has limited the number of MAVNIs who can come into each service, and they've given each service a quota to fill. In the case of the Army, it's 1,000 MAVNIs who can come in between October 1st, 2012 and September 30th, 2013. And then there's another 1,000 people that the Army's allowed to bring in starting on October 1st, 2013 and ending on September 30th, 2014. Uh, right now, the Army's about half full. Uh, they've filled up all their quota for Chinese speakers, for um, Hindi speakers, uh, and for a couple other languages that are extremely popular. As of today, though, they have not enlisted a single Haitian Creole speaker. <laughs> so there's plenty of slots left for them. The Army said they're going to enlist a maximum number of 60 people in each language that they have on the list. Uh, another language that's full, by the way, is Korean. So Korean, Chinese, and Hindi are full right now, among others. Um, so basically what happens is you have to figure out which part of the program you want to qualify for, if you're a medical professional or if you're a strategic language speaker. Then you have to go see a recruiter, see if there are any slots left for your particular language a strategic language. If there are any slots left right now, then you might be able to get in next October when the new quota opens up again. I should mention that four of the armed services are participating in this program. There are five armed forces, the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. However, the Coast Guard is not participating in MAVNI. Uh, the Army has the biggest quota. There's a total of 1,500 numbers available for the entire Department of Defense under MAVNI, and the Army's got a 1,000 of those 1,500 slots. The Navy has 250, the Air Force has 125, and the Marine Corps has 125. So far this year, however, the Army is the only service that has an active program to recruit people. I expect the other services will eventually start one up, but they're, they're doing it more slowly than, than the Army did. So right now, if you're really interested in the program, your best bet is to talk to an Army recruiter because the Air Force, Navy, and Marine Corps recruiters may not have authorization to enlist you just yet, although you can certainly go ask them. Okay. Now, you mentioned the Department of Defense fact sheet and then also some of this information you have on, you know, which languages are, uh, have met their quotas already. Where could people find more information online or otherwise about this project? Okay, there's a lot of information available online. The Department of Defense fact sheet you can find just by Googling DOD MAVNI fact sheet, but I'll also read you the web address for it if you want to type this in, www.defense.gov, G-O-V, slash news, slash MAVNI, hyphen, fact, hyphen, sheet, dot PDF. And that'll take you to the official Department of Defense fact sheet that talks about the program and has the list of languages on it. There's also a very helpful forum that's run uh, privately on the Internet called the MAVNI Info Forum. You can get to that by Googling. It's run by a private individual, but he puts out all sorts of useful information about the MAVNI program. It has chat room uh, blogs and chats, and it 
he posts the quota numbers and where the quota numbers are at. And a lot of people who were previously in the MAVNI program or planning to join the program post there. So that's a, a good source of information, even though it's not official. You can also find information on the Go Army official website, which is the Army's recruiting website. You can go to that and search for MAVNI, and you'll find some information. And then, last but not least, Facebook. There's a Facebook MAVNI group. So if you're interested in Facebook or you're on Facebook, you can join that group and get a lot of information. There's about 1,500 people who belong to that group on Facebook. And again, it's not an official group, but it does have good information. There's a lot of former MAVNIs who post there and tell people what their service was like in the military and how things turned out for them. So it's a good place to go. One thing I should emphasize is anybody who's thinking about this program shouldn't be primarily thinking about the immigration benefits, but mm -hmm. should realize that what they're getting into here is they're joining the United States military. So they really need to know what they're getting into by joining the military. And of course, the military is uh, an environment that's very different from civilian life. So people should just be prepared for that. They should have gone online and reviewed uh, videos about what life's like in the Army. There's a lot of those on YouTube. They should be physically fit because a lot of what military life is about is physical fitness. Uh, people who, are, who don't like running push-ups and sit-ups probably don't want to try to join the military because you spend a lot of your day doing physical fitness activities. And they should know what they're getting into. This is very serious. They're going to potentially be in a war zone. They could be injured or killed, and they should be aware of that and, and realize that this is not an opportunity they should just be pursuing merely for immigration benefits. That probably won't turn out very well if they do that. But for the right person who's interested in a military career, this can be a very important opportunity. I know a number of the MAVNIs have been very grateful for the chance to join the United States military. And this was no more clearly illustrated recently than by the news stories about a Mavni soldier from Nepal who joined the Army in 2009 under the original Mavni pilot program. And last fall, he was he won the award as the U.S. Army Soldier of the Year. He went through a very rigorous Army-wide competition and was named the top soldier in the whole entire United States Army. And he was a Mavni soldier from Nepal. That's wonderful. So, some people have been having a great success with this program and are, are quite grateful for it. Okay. So is there anything else that we should uh, include here? I know I'm going to go back through our library and post some of these documents that you mentioned, including the Department of Defense Mavni's fact sheet. Is there anything that I missed? Well, there's some other resources out there you should just be aware of. Uh, I wrote a book, uh, Immigration Law in the Military, and it's got a section in it on Mavni, so if you can find a copy of the book at your local law library, uh, there's some information in there. Uh, and there's also a fair amount of information just out there in articles, various articles that I've written for AILA uh, and for other organizations you can find out there on the Internet. Uh, so I would just go out there and, uh, you know, do a little bit of Googling, and you'll find uh, a lot of valuable information. One thing that does come up is some people want to know if they have to pay anything to become U.S. citizens under this program, and the answer is no. You don't pay anything to join the military, and you don't have to pay anything to apply for your citizenship through military service. That's all free. Uh, nobody should be charging you anything to get into this program. Uh, military recruiting is a process where you just go see your recruiter and you talk to the recruiter, and you don't need a middleman, and you should not be paying anybody to, to join the Army. Good to know. Margaret, what's the name of your book and the publisher to help people find it? The book is called Immigration Law and the Military, 
and it was published by the American Immigration Lawyers Association in 2012. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This is Margaret Stock with Lane Powell, and I'm Pat Malone from the Immigration Advocates Network. Take care.